Hi, Beth. Hey, Beth. You're Abby. Dear Kiki. Desperate housewives. Doesn't want to marry you. Love you like I love you. Don't talk to yourself. Cheers, Beth. Cheers. Ill advised. This is ill advised. Hey, Biffs. Welcome to Ill-Advised, the podcast where two best friends tell you what to do the way only two best friends can. Your favorite Biffs took some time off this holiday season to enjoy time with family and friends. On behalf of Stephanie and myself, we want to wish you a happy new year. And we're so happy to be in 2024 with you in your cars, in your homes, in your kitchens, your earbuds at the gym, wherever it may be. We are just so thrilled that you're continuing to listen and your support means the world to us. And we'll be back next week with our 100th episode, thrilled to launch 2024 with something very special and near and dear to us. It's a fun episode and we can't wait for you to hear it. Over the years, we've had the privilege to read from so many advice columns from so many credentialed individuals. And that makes putting together these compilations that much harder because we have so many to choose from and so many great questions. Uh, and, and the writers are just as gifted in the way that they're able to uh, articulate their thoughts and amid whatever crisis that they're experiencing. Let's start out this compilation going back to episode 43, Swing Bang Into Death. In this episode, we read from the Ask Logan column from Cosmopolitan.com. From what I remember, this was a really fun episode to record, even though it was forever ago, because it had so many great questions and it was really hard to choose between them. Listen to this clip from this episode where Biff and I are giving advice when a husband hides his wife's vibrator. Hilarity ensues. This is from cosmopolitan.com, February 22nd, 2017. My husband hid my vibrator from me. How do I talk to him? Oh, excuse me again. See these bubbly drinks. (laughs) Just take a deep breath. How do I talk to him about this situation? My husband has a low sex drive, so I bought myself a toy to tide me over until he gets in the mood, which isn't very often. He found out about it and actually hid it from me. Is he insecure about his sex drive? How do I talk to him about this situation? First of all, that's a little bit hilarious. He took her pounder. Hit it. And hit it. No, not a pounder. Rubber. A vibr- vibrator? Yeah. Vibrator? Yeah. So I don't know why I'm trying to put an accent on it. It doesn't work. Because of Logan Hill. <laughs> Logan Hill? Oh, no, Logan Hill. have a vibrator? You vibrating, Logan Hill? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how do you talk to him about it? Is he insecure about his sex drive? How do I talk to him about this situation? First of all, demand what is yours. I spent money on that pussy pounder. And I'm going to get pounded by myself. Toro stimulator. Listen, I don't know the difference anymore. Vibrating. Pounding. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Yes, I okay. I understand. <laughs> I understand. I forgot we had this conversation already on the Probably air. All the time. On the air. <laughs> Did I do the table thing? I no. Okay. Possible. I have no idea. I feel like I kind of have to think on this because yes, he's threatened by your vibrator for sure. Threatened. He's like, no, no. If it ain't me, it's nothing. Like he, he's like old-fashioned you should match my sex drive and we do it when i want to do it there's that twang again <laughs> we do it when i want to do it or we don't do it at all god damn it god damn it logan hill bertha Polly <laughs> pocket no he hit her Polly pocket <laughs> her pocket Polly. Uh, yeah um how do you talk to him you Tell him you have needs that you're taking out in a very healthy, natural way. You are not looking for it elsewhere other than your nightstand. And good point, good that point. he just either needs to start that testosterone treatment so that he's, you know, ready to shag 24-7 or, you know, find out why he doesn't have a high sex drive that matches yours or he just accepts that, you know, you can take care of yourself. You're a big girl. You spend your dollars. You punch your Benjamins. You punch your pockets. You break to your get Benjamins Polly. to punch your pocket. To put Polly in it. Yeah. And if you followed all of that, you're a very intelligent human being. Thanks, Beth. Anytime. Um, I was wicked smart. Oh, well, you know. Yes. What's your take? I'm so laughing that. <laughs> actually hit it he hit it <laughs> i'm curious as to why he like, didn't throw it away maybe he did maybe maybe that's why he's she can't find it she still can't find it right because he hit it and then took the trash out the next morning oh and threw polly right in her pocket yeah um i don't know i'd have to like gauge is he like sad and embarrassed and insecure or is he like we're gonna do what i want to do it or we're not gonna yeah. do it at all <laughs> if i have an orgasms neither are you right he totally has to, i mean like he's in the bathroom going to pound town on himself he's punching polly maybe he's got ed yeah and he's embarrassed about it and that vibrator is a reminder that he's not performing to her yeah but wouldn't liking. she know that wouldn't she know that he's you know got a, a limp one she does she's just said my husband has a low sex drive yeah but that doesn't mean he's limp it just means is he, doesn't he insecure about his sex drive i mean if he's throwing vibrators away he's definitely insecure about his sex drive for sure but he's also like not thrilled about yours. <laughs> I, I like. I just. Yeah. I, I just. I. I'm just having a difficult time. Taking it. Not taking it seriously. Because clearly. It wouldn't be here. But like. In what manner. Was he like angry. And he was like. Fuck this vibrator. And like. Listen. Took it. Or is he just like. 
you know, like I really just kind of want to know <laughs> what went through his brain to like I'm throwing this vibrator away. I wonder if it like goes off in all hours of the night and it wakes him up. Or she uses it right next to him while he's in bed. Oh my god, I totally <laughs> would. Oh, yeah. That's me. I would just hold his hand while issue. I'm doing. <laughs> Pull my hair, pull my hair. Just pull. I'm almost there. Caress my chest. <laughs> Caress my chest. Oh, I don't uh, know. I'm ready for the answer on this one. Yeah, I, yeah. I got too many other questions. Um, all right. So Logan says, yes, he's insecure. Yes, you should talk about it. Let's be real. The only reason guys don't have giant closets full of buzzing vibrators is that their hands thanks to evolution, our wildly efficient masturbatory devices. You mean thumbs? We got thumbs? (laughs) (laughs) Could use a hot dog bun. If guys' bodies worked differently, they would have very different opinions about sex toys. It's a shame your husband is is insecure and so controlling. Oh, good one, Beth. That he hid your vibrator. That's an awful move. And he probably just reacted emotionally unsure of how to handle this battery charged threat to his manhood he will however get over it but you've got to talk you need to explain to him that it's not a big deal you just like this vibrator it feels good so does he it's not like he's some factory worker being replaced by an automated machine a toy is not actually a threat to your sex life i'll just note that he is clearly in the wrong tide your vibrator but you were hiding it too I didn't get that. Me either. This whole problem seems like it's born out of awkwardness, not meanness. Hmm. You might want to make sure he knows that you weren't hiding it because it was some terrible secret, but you just felt nervous about it and didn't want to risk hurting his feelings. Tell him you know he's hidden your vibrator and you need to talk. Do not apologize because you have nothing to apologize for. Tell him you want him to understand why you use it. It's not mysterious. Tell him that you've always masturbated and that using a vibrator is a very damn good way to get off. Tell him it doesn't mean that you want him any less. But we're Christian. If anything, I bet it keeps you going, feeling sexual and wanting more. If he's threatened, offered to show him how it works or even in integrate it into your bedroom play if he's up for it that was gonna be my next there's no reason why he shouldn't learn to use it on you and obviously there are ways you can use a vibrator to enhance his experience as well you respect his sex drive and he needs to respect yours as well what the hell yeah i mean yes yeah that's sure i just didn't get the idea that she was was, hiding it from him right i mean yes don't apologize for anything take care of business girl absolutely sit on a washer dryer is it a dryer i thought so you could send them all to spin true that that's true true that put towels in the washer (laughs) (laughs) on one side on one side (laughs) but not the high efficiency ones they stop when they're in balance yeah and they like Play weird toy yeah. tunes. Yeah, toys then your mom's too. gonna be like, "Someone in the laundry, <laughs> don't come in here, mom." <laughs> I told you not to bother me while I'm, I'm drying towels. I'm trying to think of the sounds that come out of these. Like they're like playing these old kids' nursery rhymes. Like, yeah, my dad's plays a freaking twelve. That was a fun one to record. 
there were other questions in this column that were actually really great, um, including uh, my boyfriend's mom offered to break up with me for him and my parents are swingers and it makes me really uncomfortable. Head on over to our website and you can read those columns. Um, they're linked in our show notes or just take a listen to the episode. If you haven't caught on yet, our episode titles are dictated by what we say, usually something outlandish and ridiculous. Uh, but it does make me wonder, you know, looking back on them, what exactly we were talking about. For example, episode 69, Beg Daddy. It seems awfully appropriate. But of course, I had to go back and listen to figure out where this insanity came from. This column is Ask Daddy. And the question that we're going to be reading in this clip from episode 69 is, what does this love affair say about me? It was an interesting conversation, an interesting subject. Take a listen. Let me know what you think. I remember the one time I went to a rodeo with my family. I've gone to a rodeo. I was like, wait, are you what? Yeah, I've gone to a rodeo. With and it was family? literally just bulls fucking in the pen, like trying to do <laughs> each other. So that's why it's funny. Oh, and then they split them up and that's why they get angry? I probably... <laughs> Bro, I was just getting it in. Get it in me right now? What, you're riding me now? <laughs> <laughs> shit so i'm just gonna get to it <laughs> yes this is from it seems to be a now defunct advice column which is kind of sad because the writing looks really great from metrosource.com ask daddy Ooh. from their lifestyle section so this first one i don't have dates but it's their range from three to four years ago uh, they didn't publish the dates with them ask daddy what does this love affair say about me mm-hmm. right that she was a hoe or he's a hoe. Everybody's a hoe. Two hoes don't make a right. No, sometimes they make babies, though. So. Just a, a little bit of a background on, on Ask Daddy. That's an advice column for LGBTQ readers with questions relating to sexuality, morality, coming out or navigating relationships. Oh, and always out. remember the best advice this gay daddy has for you is that if you have an urgent issue or are in need of regular counseling, seek out a therapist who can offer you individual care in person. Uh-huh. So Kevin is... The writer his name's just kevin i don't know if he has more his name is just daddy it's just kevin daddy daddy kevin daddy kevin hi daddy i'm 25 <laughs> sorry <laughs> that just didn't feel right you said it way too like hi daddy bouncy. it was it bouncy yeah uh, hi daddy <laughs> that doesn't sound right either hi daddy i'm 25 <laughs> and in my first actual relationship i've hooked up with less than a handful of guys before but they've all just been that hookups. I met my current partner at a friend's Christmas party last year. We became drinking buddies, then smoking buddies. There was quite a bit of sexual tension, but neither of us, quote, wanted a relationship, end quote. After about four months, he told me why. He, in quotes, is genderqueer and prefers she. It's all love. She knew I identified as gay, so she thought I wouldn't want to get involved. But at that point, I was head over heels in love, I told her that it doesn't change anything. I love who she is as a person, and that's true. I do. Just for clarity, the assumption here that I'm making is because the pronouns weren't very pronounced. They weren't something, a topic of conversation that the writer assumed that the person that they were with identified as he appeared, maybe presented as male, identified as he. Mm. 
but then found out that they're genderqueer and identify as she. Thank you for the film. Sure thing. But at that point, I was head over heels in love. I told her that it doesn't change anything. I love who she is as a person. And that's true. I do. We started dating shortly after that. She still has male parts and she uses them when we have sex. She's not out on the level of genderqueer to anyone except a limited few. So I call her my boyfriend in public, but my girlfriend in private because that's what she wants. If she wanted me to call her my girlfriend in public, I would. But I don't want to force or push her to do something she's not ready to do. I'm not entirely sure how to be in a relationship and I don't want to mess it up. I love her, but I don't want her to think it's only because she still has a penis. How can I show her that it's her I love, not just the sex? Randall. What is gender queer? Uh, gender fluid. You don't subscribe to the gender you were necessarily born with. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'm a little bit confused with what this has to do with the relationship dynamic, especially if it wasn't something that was there or discussed in the beginning. So what it boils down to in my head is a lack of communication or a lack of trust on the other person too. So they didn't disclose at first, she didn't disclose at first that she identifies as she, that she was genderqueer, Mm -hmm. which I think that, you know, how you want to identify needs to be made known by you Mm -hmm. as an individual, right? Right. So if you're not correcting someone, then yeah. And, and it seems like this is an outward thing. So like when we're out in public, I am he. I'm not necessarily out to everyone as genderqueer or she, you know, might not necessarily identify as trans, may not want to undergo gender yeah. reassignment, but identifies as she and that's okay, whatever. Yeah, of course. Um, from what I'm getting from this is there's, there's some underlying insecurity that she feels that he's only with her because she's still because she has a penis and it's about the sex and she and he wants to make wants to reassure her that it's not just about the sex or well that's why i'm confused is because he was with her prior to her saying i'm her Mm -hmm. so that's why oh i see what you're saying why that changes the why does it change the dynamic i see if anything, I feel like that would like reassure. Unless there's an insecurity on the other person's part, you know, like now that I've come out, now I'm insecure about it, and like they're showing that. Still confused. It's sh- in in theory, I see what you're saying. It shouldn't change the dynamic, right? Like, oh, well, whatever. I mean, we're fine. We're doing great. But once you reveal these things, people's behaviors tend to change. Mm-hmm. So maybe instead of the writers relation or the writer's actions or tendencies changing this person is acting a certain way because like now i'm expecting this person's dynamic to change with me okay that makes sense does that make yeah yeah that makes sense so that's so how do i reassure this person that like nothing's changing i feel like you already did (laughs) i think you're doing (laughs) the right right, thing right like okay i'm still here i didn't run when you said actually you know i identify as this I will call you she behind like, closed doors, right. he behind However, in front of I can people. You. I will call you she in public when you want me to call you she in public. I have no shame of you. I love you unconditionally. Mm-hmm. This is actually like, it's almost like a sweet question, I feel like, because it's not alluding to any issues to that, you know, to that right. degree. Right. But like, you can only assume that there's been discussions or, you know, some insecurities that have come up to that level. But it's kind of sweet. Yeah, how do I... How do I support my partner? Which is pretty much what this question should be. I like it. Yeah. 
but I think that they've been doing it all along. Yeah. I don't know if you have any. I don't. I'm with you. I think. Yeah. I'm just curious what the answer is, I guess. I, f- I agree with you. And I also feel like I already loved you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You changing or you coming out or you wanting something doesn't make a difference, which they clearly stated. So. Yeah. Yeah. It would be different if it was kind of like your parents coming out to them and them kind of disagreeing. Yeah. You know, like, because what your logic is, is like the logic that. A lot of people used to kind of come out like if my parents love me they're going to accept me for who i am and then they come out and then it's like uh oh that was the wrong way to do it or mm-hmm. the wrong thing to say or they don't accept me or whatever it is mm-hmm. you know so i see what you're saying but unfortunately that's not always the reality no yeah no i so i think that's definitely. what this person is like feeling is like if they're feeling anything because we don't have any information well, my on confusion that. was like I prefer to be referred to as she. And then it's like, well, you only love me because of my penis. That's where I'm kind of confused. Well, it it would help if we had more context from the side of the partner and we don't have that. It it almost feels like an assumption on both of their parts. Yeah. You know, and you just support them by treating them how they want to be treated. Response. Mm. Hi, Randall. First, let me congratulate you for a couple of reasons. First, you're looking at a person and not just seeing a collection of desirable parts. The second is that you're courageous enough to accept another person as a partner on their terms. Third is that your letter actually answers your question. You show her you love her by loving her and respecting her wishes. At the end of the day, we all exist on a spectrum, whether you're Jason Statham or Troy Sivan. Hi, Jason. And when people talk about the Me Too movement, part of the idea has nothing to do with violence or intimidation. It has to do with respecting another person's right to exist and present themselves as they see fit. Back in the day, not so long ago, people like your sweetheart would be living either in a gay ghetto somewhere and interacting only with people who look like them, or they'd be wearing their dreary Banana Republic outfits and be miserable marching in line with the rest of conventional society. People like the pair of you make the world more colorful, more interesting, and more inclusive. Take your time sorting this out, Randall, and know that gender fluidity means just that. Some people will change with the weather. Do be careful about who knows what until you're sure about them and that your partner is comfortable being out with the news. Easy does it. Baby steps. Caution with those you interact with, especially including strangers, and you should both be just fine. Good luck that answer lost me mostly it's the me too (laughs) the me too lost me like i get that it may have been relevant at that point but it wasn't necessary to help respond in responding this question if you were lost i definitely was lost i mean i wasn't totally lost but it just i feel like this writer needed to fill space but we were right though right you're already doing it you're doing it answered your question Yeah. yeah What other way is there other than to support them genuinely? Yeah. Reassure them if they need reassurances, if they come to you. Do not lay it on thick because at that point they feel like you're overcompensating mm. or being too like hovering or being too needy. Or, yeah, that's it. Well, that was too easy. <laughs> Next. Yeah. We're kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, we took a name, Randall. It never fails that we learn something new every time we come across columns like this. 
And that's part of the reason that we do this. Everything's such a learning experience. And even when you think you understand things or that you've come as close to understanding them as you're going to, you learned something new about yourself, uh, as well as having learned something about society and the world around us. So doing questions like that is actually really special and important to us. And when we're off the air, Stephanie and I have genuine, genuine conversations about these things. We work really hard to meet people where they're at um, in any phase in life. And both of us really feel that that is what um, contributes to, if not makes a good person. This last clip that we're going to listen to is from episode 56. Interestingly enough, also has a very, very um, unique title called Utilize Your Urethra, where we read from the New York Times Magazine the ethicist's column. In this particular clip, the writer is asking the ethicist what the ethics are of writing about a true crime experience that they witnessed. It's a very interesting thing to write to an advice columnist about, and I think that's what drew us to it, but it also led to some fun conversation. Let's have a listen what and see where this one goes. From May 24th, 2022. Okay, are you ready for this? I don't know what to make of this title. Hmm. I'm I witnessed a murder. Is it wrong to write about it? Whoa. Right. In real life or on Netflix? I don't know. Was this a true crime documentary or was it Narcos? (laughs) 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 You ready? Recently, I rented a private office in a co-working space so I could work on personal writing projects. About two weeks into my tenure, I heard screams. When I went to investigate, I saw a man beating someone savagely with a metal pipe. Jesus Christ. I ran to my office, called 911, and then returned only to see the man walking in my direction. I ran back to my office and hid until the police arrived. The victim, she was the office manager, was rushed to the hospital where she was declared dead. The story that emerged is that the man, a fellow client who had been living in his office, was being evicted by the office manager. Because I'm a writer, it's not surprising that a number of my friends, writers and non-writers alike, have asked whether I'm writing about this story. Yet from the beginning, I have struggled to even talk about what I witnessed. I do not want to dine out on it. It feels unseemingly to me, if not outright wrong, to take advantage of my very accidental connection to this murder and its victim. I am troubled by the idea of viewing another woman's death as material. What are the ethics of writing about what is, at heart, someone else's tragedy? So you're the professional one in our relationship. However... What kind of writer? She just says she's a writer. Like stories. She's working books, on a pres- personal writing project. There's nothing specific. I need to know because this is going to or did have a major impact in her life. That's trauma. Mm-hmm. That is something you need to process and get through and like cope with. So you're thinking like biography, memoir, right. biographical something. Yes. Okay. Because this is like... So do you go in depth on that? Well, I guess you would have to, right? If you're... If you're trying to get to like... I, This was traumatic for me. This mm-hmm. was terrifying. This left me with nightmares for a year. Like that type of thing. Yeah, because you don't have to give names... You don't have to. There, unfortunately, is hundreds of thousands of deaths all around the world. 
So it's not that you have to make it super obvious who or what this was about because that could hurt the families and loved ones of the victim. Do we say victim? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I mean, if you it, but if crime. this is like, but if this is like journalism and newspaper and like things like that, then that doesn't feel very nice. If it was my sister that was killed, and you know the person who saw it happen sends off a little newspaper clipping about it, I'm gonna be upset. Yeah. She says that she's working on personal writing projects. So that to me either means something personal and biographical. Like a book. Yeah. Like a book. A book. A book. A book. A book. Or um, it's something that she can't talk about, either contractually or otherwise. Now, is this canon? Is this like, is this something that she should include or write about in general? I mean, it impacted her life. It impacted her. That's but life changing. It impacted her. But what what I'm getting at is that by the way that she, I'm going to say she, he, they wrote this question, feels like they're not comfortable writing about it. Well, they said in one part right. that like. It just seems they don't want to write someone's tragedy as material. Right. I think that's, that's why your answer. I, I know. Well, yeah, I agree. You know, you don't feel comfortable, then why, why are you entertaining it? Right. You know, if you're thinking about the dime on the other side, then the ethical, the ethical reason is how do I feel? You know, that's the ethical question Mm -hmm. to get to the answer is how do I feel about this? Mm -hmm. Am I going to write on this to profit from it? Well, I don't feel right about that. Right. But looking at the payout on the other side, it's very tempting. You got to do what's true to you. That's really how I feel about it. I don't think that should I or shouldn't I write about it? I don't think it's one way or the other. Someone's writing about it. Were they asking, like, is it unethical for me to write about it? Yeah. And so it's less like, should I? It's what are the ethics of writing about what is at heart someone else's tragedy? Yeah, so that feels a little bit different than like, do I want to write about this because it's against my feelings well the question at the end is misleading too because she's saying or they're saying at the in within the the text of the question that friends are telling them to write about it and they're not feeling okay with it so what are the ethics of writing about it and so maybe they're looking for a way to help make their decision rather than have a decision proposed to them which i guess i can respect yeah what are the ethics about writing about someone else's tragedy? I, you leave out names, you leave out details that... Well, that's legal that people do. Yeah, but that's also ethics. If I, I don't want to pick up a book and read about my sister's horrific murder. What if it's something that's already published? This is just me playing devil's advocate. So if something's published in a newspaper and it's already like widespread. If the news is reporting about the horrific crime that happened... That's different than somebody else. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I think that with like true crime being so popular as it is, like writing about things like that isn't necessarily ethically um, unsound. But I also think that they genuinely 
go and ask the next of kin or family. I was like, just going to say, I okay? think the ethics should be getting permission. Yeah. Like, I need... I'm, Can I I'm, use her name? Do you... Is it okay if I write and don't use her name? That type of thing. Yeah. That I can get behind 100%. Mm-hmm. Me too. Response? Yes. Okay. I'm glad we just came to that. <laughs> that took a long time. Great minds think alike. It's worth recalling that, quote, tragedy, a word we use to describe events like this one, originally designated a literary genre, a form of storytelling. Whatever is going on in us when we experience a tragic narrative, Aristotle wasn't the last to speculate about it. We surely learn something about our own emotional repertory. It may serve as a rehearsal of our responses to actual horrors. Classic novels have taken inspiration from real homicides. Nonfictional works immortalizing such events have joined the literary canon too. We dream in a narrative, daydream in narrative, remember, anticipate, hope, despair, believe, doubt, plan, revise, criticize, construct, gossip, learn, hate, and love by narrative. The literary scholar Barbara Hardy maintained. I'm sorry, that was all supposed to be in quotes, but you get the picture. In order really to live, We make up stories about ourselves and others, about the personal as well as the social past and future. But to whom does this story of a homicide belong? Is it shared by the perpetrator and the victim? Is it inherited as part of someone's estate, like a piece of property? Is it a possession only of those who care deeply about the life that was taken or about the person who took it? Whose is it? We'll do better in my view if we don't think about what happened as someone's possession To regard what happened merely as material for your writing to be sure would be to lose track of the fact that it was an event in which another human being suffered terribly and died. And it's a natural anxiety that the friends and family of the murdered would be pained by what you might write. Yet they don't own the event. Indeed, there's a sense in which it really did happen to you as well. Certainly your own experience, at once accidental and terrifying, was unique. Intimacy with your principles can be valuable for a writer. So can distance. That's because there's no single way of narrating an event, however banal, however horrific. And nobody has the lived experience of having been killed. Writing about the event you witnessed will be justified in that you write. your writing has value. Okay. So. I liked the point that like, yes, this is also your story. I don't like that the loved ones of the victim, I mean, yes, technically they don't own that, but I feel like that's just a level of respect that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, I I get the sense that what um, the ethicist says was mainly food for thought. I think this is their style of writing, which I'm starting to gather because a lot of this wasn't necessarily direct advice so much as it was to help you make your decision like a psychologist. Right. Just very interesting to me because you don't see this with advice columnists. Right. So I think that was more food for thought, like thinking about it in this way, because I really liked the end. Your writing is justified in that it has value. So what does that mean? What does that mean to you? You know, what are they perceiving? What do you want the reader to take back from this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't answer what, right? you know what I mean? Right. Other than entertainment value because of that true crime genre. But yeah, 
I don't hate this response. I didn't hate it either. I just I couldn't read feel it. Like we just kind of oh the loved ones so some kind of respect. Just you know, pushed what I mean? them aside. Like yeah, they don't own this. It didn't happen. You know, like which I I get in like the broad mm-hmm. aspect of it, but and I do agree that like this happened to you. That's traumatic. That's part of real part of your life now unfortunately but i do feel like there still should be some level of just kind of empathy or like respect for the family members yeah. you know what i mean i feel like that's just kind of only right yeah i think it, it, and this is the line that they're drawing right like you know this is something that you know now the family's suffering through but it happened to you also no, you didn't get killed, but you witnessed a traumatizing Absolutely. event. So it's just, it is, it's a, it's, it's just an interesting Well, I position. feel like it goes back to like, what are you writing? And that's the we last, need to know. but that's the last part of it, right? That your writing has value. What do you need the other person to get? What are you writing? So I think that's a very valid question and probably should have been the response to all but of this. But if you're a gossip girl, right. like I'll, I'll, I'll beat you up. If you're writing about the death of my sister, if you can find to like, out who it is. Spread, right? <laughs> well, the new season, you do. Oh, really? Yeah. Did they get canceled again already? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but Excellent. I didn't watch it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. If it's something like in that type of form, like now I'm just spilling tea. Right. Then yeah, you need permission from mm-hmm. the family. Yeah. But if you're speaking about like, this fucked me up. Mm-hmm. Then yes, tell your story. Yeah. For me, it depends on what you're writing. Right. Your intention behind it. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. I agree with everything that you're saying. Yeah. Um, but I also see like these are because a lot of these things weren't points; they were questions. You know, to kind of help this writer make a decision about something. So, kind of see where they're going with this. It's like I'm trying to help you make a decision. But ultimately, and that was the last thing, right. like, no, yeah. what you're getting needs yeah. to have value. No. So I, I kind of respect that, but I totally agree with you. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a really that good one. That was a one. really good one. Yeah. I'm so sorry. We're not trying to exploit your time. experience. Great question, <laughs> Great though. Great question. Great question. <laughs> That's terrible. Should we publish this one? Why wouldn't I'm we? Just kidding. <laughs> it's like you across the line now. Okay. <laughs> next one that has to be one of my favorite discussions the ethical dilemma alone is something to sit and ponder and i don't know how i would handle that type of a situation but i mean you just listened to the clip so i won't rehash it for you that's all we have for this week's episodes. A friendly reminder that you can find the links to all of these episodes and the columns that we covered in them at illadvisedthepodcast.com in our show notes for this episode, Best of the Biffs, Part 3. By the time that you are listening to this, it'll already be 2024. So we want to wish you a happy new year and hope that you had a fantastic holiday season full of love and warmth and family and friends. We are beyond grateful to be a part of this new year with you and that you continue to listen and like our content. We're thrilled to bring you our centennial episode next week, 100 episodes 
this is phenomenal. We're celebrating with some familiar friends and some expensive champagne, and we hope that you listen and be entertained and love it. It's going to be a blast. So stay tuned for that and keep an eye on all of our social media at Ill Advise the Podcast to see what we have in store for you. And with all of that said, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you smell great, and don't forget to beg daddy to swing bang you to death. And thank you for listening. You've been ill-advised. Ill-advised is hosted and produced by Stephanie and Ray. AKA your best. Send us your questions, your comments, all of your concerns, and your drink recommendations to illadvisedpodcast at gmail.com. You can catch up on all of our episodes and our show notes at illadvisedpodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ill-Advised The Podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. You've, You've been, been Ill-Advised. Ill-advised.